You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into episode 179 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. It's been a couple of weeks, but we are back and we have an action-packed show planned for you today. Coming up, we will discuss a lot of changes in the Virginia Tech men's basketball program as Coach Mike Young's staff looks a little bit different since the last time we did a podcast. We'll talk about the addition of associate head coach Mike Jones and the departure of Chester Frazier and potentially Christian Webster. Plus, the Hokies add a six foot ten freshman transfer from Clemson and Lynn Kidd. How does that help the depth of the Hokies inside? We'll talk about that. Plus, a little bit about the Tech defensive line and football. Deshaun Crawford's enter the transfer portal, and we'll talk softball, baseball, lacrosse at the end of the show. It's all coming up. Episode one hundred and seventy nine of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It's great to be back, and it all gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on the following platforms, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. Yay, Stitcher. We are so glad that you could join us as we record on Wednesday morning, May 19th. Our crew today, as always, to my left, he is back with a tan since his vacation. He is our managing editor at Tech Sideline, Chris Coleman. Across the way, he is wearing uh, a graduation, uh, a piece of, uh, what, what is that actually called, Will? The Stole of Gratitude. Stole of Gratitude. We're both rocking the TSL polos today. He is our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. We'll talk about why he's wearing that in just a moment. Behind the scenes, the newly graduated best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. And I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. The Again, newly graduated Evan Hughes. Which we'll talk about in just a moment. It's the first time we're doing a podcast. All four of us are graduates of Virginia Tech. Nice. Pretty exciting about that. Um, if you have a question for Will or Chris, we're going to have time to get to those at the end of the show. Be sure to drop that in the YouTube chat. If you're watching, there are three really simple things that could help us out. Will, if you're watching, what could you do right this minute? You can like and subscribe and then wait until the final video is posted and comment. See, I've got that down pretty pat. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of rattled, though. You said this podcast was going to be action-packed. Am I expected to do anything other than talk? You might need to put this helmet on. <laughs> That's been done. <laughs> or maybe put that jersey on, which we'll talk it, about it looks in just like a moment, an because we do have a couple of changes to the podcast set. One thing that has not changed, though, the Tech Sideline Podcast is proudly presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. You can help Virginia Tech Wrestling uh, continue on their upward trajectory of becoming the best wrestling program in the entire country. Go to southeastrtc.com today to find out how you can get involved with the SERTC in the development of Virginia Tech Wrestling today. 
Will, you guys announced it on Twitter earlier this morning. They're back for another year. I know we love the partnership, getting to work with uh, Coach Roby, Coach Frere, the SERTC, and I know you're thrilled to have them back. Yes, clearly this is a program that knows what they're doing because they've been sponsoring Tech Sideline now for about about three or four years. Uh, now we're really uh, <clears throat> really pleased. And I know we've talked about sponsorships here on the podcast, and uh, I've had some people reach out to me. I got back to them. So um, if you've reached out to me, uh, I'll, I'll get back to you soon. Keep the conversation going. So we really appreciate having them on board again. So you've got uh, gratitude on right now. Uh, again, it's uh, it's kind of an exciting day. But we haven't done a show since. Late April, I know, and I uh, Malcolm and I are both now graduates of Virginia Tech, so all four of us are alums. Kind of exciting. Yeah, um, so people were asking us, well, what happened to the podcast? When are you coming back? And I'm like, well, you know, our students are in the middle of uh, exams and getting ready to graduate, so uh, uh, very cool. So, um, yes, Malcolm walked on. His, his, his pamphlet group was the very last of 15 graduations was it is that right and evans yours was like the first wasn't it yours was eight. no mine was actually towards i think they started earlier last week mine was 8 a.m saturday oh okay yeah i think it was dirt i would think it was like 11 11 of 15 oh really okay yeah so how many people were in lane stadium when when you graduated so for the college of liberal arts and human sciences which covers like from A criminology lot. to spanish to communications uh in terms of graduates, so they had the, uh, the podium and the stage in the end zone facing the student section. So there were rows of students up till about the 40-yard line towards the north end zone. Right. So not as many as I thought. Now, so not I, even half full, is that what you're talking about? Not half okay. full, but it's because nobody wanted to wake up at 6.30 in the morning. Guess who was late to getting his graduation tickets? That'd be oh, one of the news. Okay. So everybody graduated at 1 o'clock for the most part. So I think there was more than half. <laughs> For the one o'clock ceremony. But you know what I like about that? We were done by 9.15. We're at Waffle House by 9.30 celebrating with a nice breakfast. So Waffle House. Yeah. That's a free plug. It was the only <laughs> only place that uh, could fit people at 9.30 in the morning on graduation weekends. So. Where, where's the Waffle House around here? There's one in Christiansburg? No, no in Blacksburg. Blacksburg right by uh, the Taco Bell and yeah. uh, Moss Arts Center. It's been there for a while now, and it's actually a popular late night destination. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, a big congratulations to Malcolm, who... Gave you what you're wearing right now. You want to kind of explain uh, what yes. Malcolm did? Very, very cool, touching thing. This was a new tradition to me. I didn't know about this, but uh, it, it's called the Stole of Gratitude. So it is the graduates' stole, and they give it to the person whom they are, are most grateful for. What, what exactly, Malcolm? See, Malcolm doesn't have a microphone anymore, does he? He's does it work? Around, he's looking around trying to figure out how to turn his microphone on. <laughs> So, so what what does it stand for? Just you can just tell us, and we'll repeat it. Uh, so you can buy one or multiple, and you just give them to people that you have gratitude towards. Oh, so it's a separate purchase. Um, so, do you have your own stole to keep, or is this the only one? No, that's it. Oh, good. So I'll you buy it, and you give it to people that you're grat- uh, you gratitude. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So that's a really cool giving it to uh, his dad. So, so he handed it to me, and of course, I immediately cracked a joke that it was an $80,000 stall. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, no, very, very nice moment. So I really appreciate that because well, it, it's been a, it's been fun having Malcolm work on the podcast with us and a lot of what you see he's responsible for as far as, as, far as the audio, video, and editing setup. He, he did all that. Yeah. So we got to, we got to train somebody else that knows how to do that stuff. 
Um, real quick, Chris, I want to welcome you back to the United States. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen you, and yeah. I know people enjoyed seeing your pictures on. You put a couple on Twitter, I want to say, maybe Facebook. So yeah, Facebook. I don't know Instagram. where where uh, where did you travel? Tell our uh, listeners. I went, I, you, I went to St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. It was interesting. Uh, landed, got on a cab slash shuttle to go to where we were staying, and the woman behind me sees my Virginia Tech book bag and says, "Oh, go Hokies from from Roanoke." Turned out she's a TSL Pass subscriber, right? But I thought it's it's and it's so random because we have very few women subscribers. She's a bit of a right, unicorn. Right. So yeah. She was down there with her husband, and he's like, "Yeah, I didn't go to Tech. I'm just along for the ride." So, wow. so shout out to her, and uh, actually didn't catch her name, but uh, there's a uh, like I said, it's just you go on vacation to the Virgin Islands and. The last person, the last thing you expect is the first person you talk to down there to be a TSL. To be a female subscriber. TSL exactly. passive subscriber. There are very few of those. Yeah. Yeah. So good vacation though? Oh man, yeah. Great. Um, one of the things you do down there is, and we did this a couple times, you, you get on a boat, they take you around to, to all these random islands and beaches and snorkeling spots. You jump off the boat, you swim to the beach. You go to the beach bar if that's your thing, and then an hour or two later, you swim back to the boat, go to the next island or beach or whatever. So uh, how many people are on one of these boats? Oh, they're like normal-sized boats you'd see on Smith Mountain Lake or something like right, that. So, right. you know, anywhere from like 8 to 15, depending on how big So you pony up some is. bucks, and they take you out for yeah, the day? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, fun. That sounds um, like a ton so, of fun. Yeah, so stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Good times. I uh, Then I came back and immediately caught a cold because it was between 82 and 86 degrees all the time down there. And then I got out of the car. It was actually an adventure getting back. I landed at midnight and drove around outside Charlotte for a while in an attempt to find gasoline. <laughs> I, I actually, did, I actually yeah. didn't know if I was going to make it back to Blacksburg. Or not. Wow. And after driving around for 30 miles to find a gas station that had gas, I finally got gas, got back to Blacksburg at 3.30 a.m. on Wednesday, and it's 45 degrees. So that drastic temperature change, and I, I immediately caught a cold. It was, uh, I'm mostly over it now. but Starting to get warm, though, in Blacksburg. It's going to be like 70, 80 degrees for the next 10 days, which is – Great news. Yeah, beautiful um, day today. We'll dive into the show here in just a moment. But it's been a couple of weeks, so a couple of housekeeping notes. First off, if you're watching the podcast set, you might notice that there is a jersey that is being hung over Will's right shoulder. Stewart, 87. Will, you didn't tell me you played for Virginia Tech football. <laughs> tell me about your playing days. No, uh, don't don't, let, me, don't let me forget that comment, though. That's actually kind of funny. Um, so, yes, uh, that jersey comes from a... Um, those of you that have been around a little bit and used to be BeaverBall.com subscribers, um, that jersey comes from a quote-unquote fantasy camp that Frank Beamer and his staff did back in the summer of 2004. So um, in the fall of – so they were they were pushing this on uh, uh, BeaverBall.com at the time. And if I remember correctly, this camp was like $4,000. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty expensive. And uh, my, my good friend Tom Beam, who posts as F4E Hokey on the boards, and I'm not giving anything away there. Everybody knows who Tom is. He's, he's, he's one of those people that puts his name out there. So Tom arranged a uh, – this was in the fall of 2003. He arranged a fundraising campaign, unbeknownst to me, to raise the funds to send me to the fantasy camp. And so I believe that – was presented to me the day that Tech beat Miami. There was, was a tailgate. I was there. Yeah. yeah. 2003 Miami game. Yeah. And so, it was for the next summer. So a great day. Yeah. So it was for the next summer. And so to put this in context, um, 
That was back when Tech Sideline did not have media access and was, as a matter of fact, was treated often with belligerence by the Virginia Tech Athletic Department. So to to pony up four grand for me to spend the weekend with Frank and his coaches was, you know, kind of kind of interesting, kind of cool. To, now, to be fair, the football program was – as far as I know, it was always okay. The, the football program had no problem with us. Yeah. They, they would let us into uh, recruiting camps and things like that in the yeah. summer. Like we could get into recruiting camps, which were run by the staff, but the administration itself would not let Tech yeah. Sideline in. Yeah, and and there are stories there, and one that comes to mind in particular that I, I don't have time to tell right now. So anyway, so we go to this. So the the whole idea behind this fantasy camp was it took a weekend. We showed up on Friday and we left on Sunday, and it was supposed to kind of. Uh, emulate a game weekend for the players. So you would have the team dinner on Friday night. You'd get up on Saturday. And uh, I believe it was, you know, we had breakfast Saturday morning. I think we had position meetings with the coaches. <clears throat> and then they had us all like fully decked out in, in a complete uniform. And there wound up being, if I remember correctly, 31 of us. So not a lot of guys, but not just a handful. And, and so to see guys of how do i put this guys of all walks of life uh, dressed up in virginia tech football gear and so they did the whole deal of uh <clears throat> once they got us in full uniform they uh announced us running out of the tunnel and filmed it and as i made mention to earlier if you see me with a football helmet on it looks like an orange on a toothpick it's it's pretty hilarious but the story behind the jersey is that uh, they asked everybody ahead of time, what jersey number do you want? And I graduated in 1987, so I said, I want I want 87. So when I showed up, I was the only person that they'd had a snafu, and they didn't have a jersey for me. So they went and got – David Kleine was wearing number 87 at the time. They went and got David Kleine's jersey, ripped his name off of it, very quickly put my name on the back for the weekend. So I wore David Kleine's jersey that weekend when, when we got all dressed up in full gear. Um, <clears throat> before I left, of course, they had to take the jersey back. Everybody else got to take their jerseys and their helmets with them. Um, they took the jersey back from me, but they, they tossed me. Oh, and I meant to have it here. Maybe we can bring it in after the break. Um, they tossed me a number five jersey and said, here, take this with you. And so I took that out there with me, out of there with me. And then later they did circle around and get me an 87 jersey, <clears throat> excuse me, with my name on it and mailed it to me. So I wound up with two jerseys, the 87 and the five. Now, here's what's interesting about the five. Remember, this was the summer of 2004. Someone who was going to wear number five in the 2004 season was kicked off the team. Or suspended. In the Suspended, yeah. yes, for a year. Um, so I have what was supposed to be Marcus Vick's jersey for the 2004 football season in my possession. Doesn't have his name on it, but that was that jersey's destiny that they tossed to me on the way out that day. So fortunately, another uh, person who has been a much better representative of Virginia Tech and a much more successful football player later wore number five. So um, you could look at it as a Tyrod Taylor jersey. So You've got an interesting collection of jerseys. I've got the Jim Druckenmiller jersey that you sold me. That's correct. I've also got a basketball jersey that during Seth Greenberg's first year at Virginia Tech, there was a game at Pittsburgh, which wasn't even televised, so nobody's ever actually seen these jerseys. Uh, it was the first time ever that Virginia Tech basketball wore black jerseys. Probably mm. the first time any Virginia Tech team has ever worn black jerseys. And I've got Xavier Dowdell's jersey from that game. Very cool. That he wore during that game. Yeah. yeah. 
And the first jersey I ever owned was a Greg Boone number eight tech t-shirt jersey. Because mm. I loved Greg Boone growing up. <laughs> Greg so, Boone. It was a t-shirt, again, just an eight. Like just a, I don't know if you can still find Greg Boone's high school film somewhere, but you ought to watch it. He is a man among boys in his high school film. That's nuts to watch. Uh, a dream guest. I would love to have Greg Boone on the podcast someday. So, so I, I have one other jersey. I have, a, I have an Al Clark jersey from, uh, I believe, 1995. Mm. A white Big East Road jersey. Uh, Al, I follow Al on Twitter, so I think I'm going to hit him up and ask him if he wants it. Now, the story with the Al Clark jersey is that when Malcolm played one year of football in third grade, that was his practice jersey. He wore the Al Clark jersey. Remember that, Malcolm? Malcolm's like, no, I blotted that experience from my What's interesting, my Jim Druckenmiller jersey is like a dress. Like, it comes down to my knees. Yeah, because, (laughs) and and so this jersey is very long, so that they come in very long with you know, kind of regular sleeves on them. And then the players have them cut like they want them. They take a lot of the tail off. A lot of the skill position players will, will have the sleeves cut way down to the shoulder pads so they don't restrict their movement. So that's what he's talking about. He's got a Druck jersey that is untouched. I think we do a full podcast on this on over jerseys. the summer. We've got jerseys on jerseys and, and stories. And... We do have a lot to get into today here on episode 179 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll talk a lot about Virginia Tech men's basketball, some additions and some changes to the staff for Coach Mike Young. We'll talk about a couple of players that are coming in, a couple that are going to the portal in football. We'll get to that in just a moment. But one more housekeeping One note. more piece. The Tech Sideline family and the staff is getting bigger with another full-time staff member, one of my best friends in the entire world. Chris, might be time to get a new title. I know. Managing editors on the way out for Chris Coleman. He's usurped it. David Cunningham coming in full-time tech sideline uh, later in the summer. You guys announced it last week. He will be the new managing editor. Uh, David has been instrumental in building uh, the sports media and analytics program since the minute he stepped foot on campus. Editor-in-chief literally like brought the idea to Bill and said, I want to do a website Oversaw nearly 20 beat writers at 3304 Sports, edited every article, works behind the scenes at the ACC Network, sports director at Wovit. Will, he does a little bit of everything, and uh, I'm personally uh, psyched for, for you guys, for David. I think this is a home-run marriage, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, so, so to, for, for those who are not familiar with the Sports Media and Analytics program, Bill Roth returned from UCLA in 2016 and started the sports media and analytics program, which has since become a major in the School of Communications. I think that happened a year or two ago. So he started the SMA program. Were you in his first class? That he ever taught? No, in his first class of uh, students. I think so, in 2016? 2016, I would have been a senior in high school. So he came back, he taught a little bit in 16. 17 was his first full year. Back. Yeah, so guys like you and David Cunningham, I'm sure a bunch of other guys you could. You were one name. of his first recruits. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, um, yes, David started. You, you, did you and David co-found 3304 Sports? Is that accurate? I mean, whose idea? Was he that? was a founding. I mean, Bill's always had the idea. I kind of helped Bill get it going, but David was a founding member you know leadership right away from the start he's been there every step of the way so david has run the website and as you said has managed a team of 15 or 20 writers and and edited and posted all their content and we we need that here so so what's happening it has happened at tech sideline is that um the the amount of content we produce requires a lot of scheduling and editing and media that goes with it and that sort of stuff 
And that takes away from Chris's time to be an analyst and to really follow things closely and write stuff. Yeah, there there are some days where, like uh, during football season, where I might not even start on the game preview. Not, I mean, I mean, like maybe not even start research on the game preview until basically like when the day we post it, right? Because I don't have time because I'm so busy editing everybody else's articles for the first two or three and days. And people have week. noticed this, like, for example, let's take the specific example of the game preview. People have noticed that they're not as detailed as they used to be, Yeah, you know? And so we knew that from a, from a content standpoint, we needed somebody to take the load off of us, Chris, so he can produce better content in a more timely fashion, me so I can do the things necessary to run the business. Yeah, yeah, and think about like think about a newspaper. Let's say the editor of a newspaper was also in charge of writing most of the articles, mm-hmm. right? So that was basically what I was doing. I was the editor of TSL and also had to write a large chunk of the content, right? right. And that's just not that's spread out too much. So, uh, so David will have that role yeah. for us. D- David's going to manage our free content, and yeah. I'm going to manage our pay content, basically. Yeah. So, we still don't know what my title is going to be. Now, now David but, doesn't want to hear any of that. He wants to talk about all the writing he's going to do because <laughs> um, we'll, we'll figure out later uh, where the beat writing responsibilities will fall. David will be our football yeah. beat writer. He he loves basketball. I know he loves covering yeah. basketball. That's how when I first noticed David is he sat next to me during basketball games yeah. covering the team, and he always keeps these spreadsheets with yeah. these interesting stats. Keeps track of every charge. Like he yeah, is yeah. his, yeah. you know, his yes. So anytime we needed to know how many charges so Hunter Couture, we can have a Hunter Couture charge meter on, on TSL this year. You know, I because know. David keeps track of stuff like that. Yeah. So he's just his his appetite, his passion for. At Virginia Tech Athletics and following it, he's a fantastic follow on Twitter at the Real D Connor, mm-hmm. the Real D Connor C U N N A. We're we're he's close to five thousand followers. He started out at forty five hundred when we announced it. And we're pushing oh, people. He'll to jump up a bit when football starts, and yeah, yeah, and he's affiliated with us at that point. So he's the starting date. This is, it's not going to be an overnight thing. The starting date is August first, right? Though I guess we haven't had this conversation. Not you and me, or with him either. But it was announced yesterday, yesterday that there will be in-person ACC Media Day, like July twenty-first or something like that. All right, so David so will be starting mid-July. Gonna, David doesn't know this yet, but there's a good possibility he's going to start a couple weeks earlier. But <laughs> see, that's exciting because he wasn't going to get paid till September first, and now if he starts in mid-July, he'll get paid on August first. Congratulations, so, David. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it's going to make us a whole lot better. And I know there's something that I'm forgetting to mention. Oh, so the other role David will serve is. The relationship between us and the sports media and analytics program is getting tighter and tighter and tighter as, as time goes by. So um, having worked with so many students and managed them, David will also serve as a liaison between us and the program so we can get more consistent coverage of, um, you know, we've got pretty consistent coverage of football and basketball and recruiting. Uh, David will be able to manage student writers who will provide coverage of other sports. So we are going to get a lot better soon. Love it. Uh, Jeff Holland, by the way, comment said, David Cunningham, better red shirt. He needs to live in the weight room. Probably won't be game ready until his red shirt freshman year, August of 2022. David's going to be one of the few true freshmen ready to play right away. Right. Or, you know, he's, he's a five-star. He's going to need some more. Darn right he's a five-star. Yeah. Now here's yeah. a funny little anecdote. So he so he did an update for his uh, – um, uh, personal blog about graduating and how he's going to come work for us. And he sent the portion about how he's going to come work for us. And he said, if you told eight year old me that I was going to get to write about tech sports for a living, 
I would have fainted. And he spelled fainted F-E-I-N-T-E-D. <laughs> so I had a had an uh-oh moment like, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, but it's all right. He's, he's it gonna, turns he's, out that was the only mistake in the entire article. Yeah, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding around with David. Uh, so he, he will need some breaking in as a basically a true freshman for us. But he's, he's going to have to be ready to play at the beginning of the season. Pumped up for him. Again, you can follow David on Twitter at TheRealDConna, uh, C-U-N-N-A. And uh, looking forward to having him a part of the Tech Sideline family later in the summer. Uh, this might be the latest we've ever gone without officially getting into what we're talking about. We're nearly a half hour. But you know what the good news is? It's, it's summertime. Malcolm and I don't have classes to worry about. Right. We've got all the time. I know you guys have you know stuff to do, and uh, but uh, let's go ahead and transition into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Coming up a little bit later, we'll talk about football, Deshaun Crawford, and then the transfer portal. What does that mean for the defensive line depth? We'll talk softball headed to the NCAA tournament this week. Baseball with a really big series against Notre Dame this weekend. Top ten team in the country. Uh, new coach coming in lacrosse. John Sung resigned, and we'll talk about all that a little bit later. But we be we'll spend the majority of our day. On the podcast today, talking about changes on the bench for Coach Mike Young. We'll talk a lot about, as Chris wrote about, the Mike and Mike connection. As Mike Jones has been pulled away from DeMatha High School, where he was one of the top high school coaches in the entire country, to now become the associate head coach at Virginia Tech. But I want to start off by talking about the impact that Chester Frazier had in two years at Virginia Tech. I believe, Chris, in your article, which I'm going to go off of, by the way, uh, TechSideline.com, the Mike and Mike Connection, a great article from Chris that kind of goes in-depth about what the hire means for Virginia Tech. But I believe you used the term, he was the yin and yang to Mike Young in terms of he was the defensive mind. Chester Frazier. Chester Frazier, that is. Mike Young's the offensive mind. When you look at what he was able to do in his short time in Blacksburg, what does he leave behind? What was he so good at that it'll be tough to replace? He shouldered a big recruiting burden, but, uh, you know, I think that's replaceable uh, with, with Mike Jones's contacts and everything like that. Um, you don't know if from an X – he's a good X's and O's coach. Uh, I mean, you've got to be to make it this far. I mean, he's got a great record at DeMatha, uh, Team USA coach, everything like that. Um, yeah, he won 511 games at DeMatha yeah, from yeah. basically 2002, I and, think. And a, and a national championship. Um, yeah. So, and you're talking, this is one of the top five, you know, yeah, it's high school, but you, you put the air quotes around high school. This is a basketball factory yeah. that the kids transfer to to get the best coaching possible. It's sort of like, you know, I, the IMG Academy of Basketball, and IMG's got a good basketball program too. But but you know they're uh, they're known for football. But at any rate, it's it's one of those top, one of the nation's top basketball programs. Uh, I think he, he's a he's a great fit. I, I don't know if like yes, he's a direct Chester Frazier replacement as he as he's now the number two man on the staff. He's associate head coach. Um, he's going to have plenty of authority. Uh, I, I don't I don't think he quite one hundred percent replaces Frazier in the defensive coordinator role, so to speak, that I think Frazier basically what he served as, in my opinion. Um, but you, you, you never, you're never going to have like a 100% fit from a replacement standpoint. I, I think So I think you lose a little bit defensively, but I actually think you gain a bit in recruiting. And, uh, and, it's, and it's not just the DMV, uh, you know, Virginia, Northern Virginia, Maryland, uh, D.C., you know, he has been a Team USA coach for the last 20-some years. For the under-16 uh, team? Uh, various roles. He he has been the under-16 – he 
under-16 head coach in the past. He was going to be the under-16 head coach again this year, uh, but he is you know, not going to do that now because he's taken the associate job. But if you want to talk that. about immediate but, impact, right, right, he knows right. a lot well, of recruits that will be – Right, and exactly, uh, recruits all over the country that he has coached. And it gives Virginia Tech immediate uh, access. S- access. Uh, his relationship with Nike, now, now let me talk about DeMatha here a little bit. And DeMatha is an Under Armour school, with the exception of the, of the boys' basketball program, which remained with Nike. And they remained with Nike because Mike Jones is a Team USA basketball coach, and Team USA is Nike. Um, so this, that's almost like you know, all of Virginia Tech sports being – you know, Under Armour, and then one of their programs staying with Nike. You know, it just doesn't happen. And, but that's a unique relationship. So he's got such a great relationship with Nike, both at the Team USA level and the grassroots level, that, you know, he can walk into pretty much any Nike AAU program and say, I'm associate head coach at Virginia Tech now. I've been developing Team USA basketball players for 20 years. I and mean, that's a big deal. I mean, Team USA, you know, the best basketball in the world in the United States of America, and they trust Mike Jones with them their player development yeah. for their for their for a lot of their young talent so i just i just think it's it's a big deal on a lot of fronts well i believe coach young told it was uh mark berman of the wrong times that this was something that was kind of out of left field this hire when you read the credentials that he has is i mean is this a hire that you like you think fits what were your initial impressions when you saw the news i feel like we're flying really close to the sun here this is uh, <laughs> this is pretty cool um you never know how things are going to work out. Um, but on paper, it looks like a fantastic hire. Um, Mike Young may be possibly underselling himself a little bit by saying it came out of left field. Um, Mike is the, uh, Mike is a, Mike is a Fox. He's very, he's very, uh, he's, he seems to be one step ahead. He's crafty. You're crafty, you know, yeah. and, and uh, I, I suppose he's a good looking guy too. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> um, so I've just I said this on the board several times in in the last couple of days. I've just learned not to underestimate Mike Young. Um so yeah, Chester Fraser leaving was a big worry. And as Chris said, this isn't a direct one for one plug in. It's a, some things are better about Mike Jones, some things are better about Chester Fraser, but this this looks like a really really good hire and I think uh I think the impact on recruiting will should be immediate. Mm-hmm. Now you still, so Mike Jones gives you access to these kids. You still have to have the ability to close on them, you know, and, and that's a whole separate animal right. that, that I think we know Chester Frazier could close. Um, this is new territory for Mike Jones. He's recruited of a sort at uh, Damatha. Yeah. He's, he's recruited high school players to the best high school in the country obviously. where there are no rules where there are no recruiting rules there's no um there's no yeah. oversight from yeah, some from, from some governing body yeah, yeah right that, uh, so and and basically you're not recruiting against paul the six for players anymore yeah. right you're recruiting against louisville kentucky and and, and, and you know yeah uh, so it's going to be a little bit different it's more it's going to be more of a grind but he knows that because he's yeah, you know he's seen he, it he's from been, the high school he, exactly. coaching side. He's seen yeah. uh, college coaches. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I want to point out that uh, ever since Whit Babcock took over, the the monetary investment in the basketball program has been 
really, really good. I mean, the resources he gave Buzz Williams is just uncomparable to any past Virginia Tech basketball coach, right. the support he received. Uh, you know, I looked up Chester Frazier's salary this morning, and, you know, he was making $320,000 as Virginia Tech's associate head coach. And uh, Jason Williford is UVA's associate head coach. And I, I didn't see any up-to-date numbers for this year for Williford, but last year he was making 280000 mm. And UVA is one of the biggest and best-supported basketball programs in the country, and yet and Virginia Tech is matching them in some ways in terms of financial support for the program, which means you can go out and – make a big-time hire like this, you have the financial resources to do so. And I saw some criticism of Justin Fuente and his assistant coach hiring and things like that. Well, you know, when when Justin Fuente was talking to Lauren Johnson, the former Virginia Tech player and Highland Springs head coach, about a coaching job at Virginia Tech, you know, he just he didn't have the financial resources to make Lauren Johnson an offer he couldn't refuse. But Mike Young had the financial resources to do it. So we, you're going to see that change with Virginia Tech football going forward. I'm just using it as yeah. a – it's not an apples-to-apples, apples, you know, comparison across the two. Um, but but I think the success Virginia Tech men's basketball has had over the last, you know, five years or so is partially a de- direct result of it being better funded than it used to be in the past. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, so uh, hold that thought for a second, Evan. Uh, now, there is a – if you want to call it downside to providing better, better funding for the program. So every year we do a financial report right. on Virginia Tech Athletics. We've been doing it I don't know, since the early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, Randy Jones puts it together for us. So as we talk, I'm looking at a chart that shows revenue and expenses for men's basketball. Mm-hmm. And during Jim Weaver's tenure, revenue for men's basketball went from about $5.8 million up to, if I've got my years correct here, Five point eight million to ten point seven million, mm-hmm. and the profitability of the men's basketball program went from three million to five million. Yes. Mm. So in Jim Weaver's last year, uh, let's see, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, um, Virginia Tech men's basketball bought in 10, brought in ten point seven million mm-hmm. and and made in profit five point two million. Yeah. It's now, what happens when you pay James Johnson, your head coach, six hundred thousand dollars a year, right? And then you and, finish dead last in the ACC. But hey, you're the most profitable program, right? right? And yeah. and so then you then then it's like if you looking at this graphic from the time when Babcock was hired, it's like a gate got dropped, and so now revenue dipped because Johnson had run the program into the ground, right. so it dropped down to like eight million Ticket shortly sales, after that. Just, Ticket sales plummeted yeah. all that, and and Wit spent big money on Buzz, mm-hmm. right? So since then, the the revenue for men's basketball has gotten up into the eleven or twelve million dollar range, but the mm-hmm. profitability is now, you know, air quotes, only a couple million a year right. versus five million a year. But, so yes, right. Wit has put a lot of money into the but program. But we're winning more games, and I'm not willing to sacrifice that extra three million dollars of profits for winning 11 games a year which we were doing before balls got here yeah because all know? these spurtle sales from lucinda are easily oh, going to make up the extra I, I money but uh you know again this is this is one of the reasons they're they're redoing castle um you know it, it's a one it's a one-time cost which hopefully it will get paid for 100 percent or close to 100 percent through donations through private donations so it doesn't come out of the bottom line but you're going to have suites and club seats and things like that and then just like that your revenue in basketball is going to grow up dramatically simply because you've got more high, high so, level so, seats so they, they don't have exact figures but they want to raise 50 million dollars from donors for the castle expansion and they think it will cost in the neighborhood of 75 million right and that extra 25 million will come in the will, form of a loan 
Yeah, hopefully a very, very low interest loan yeah. from the school, and it will be funded by suites and things like that. So we interrupted you. you were no, to- <laughs> that's a really great perspective. And I was just going to add, because I, I think for the, the outsider who's here, Hokies are hiring a high school coach to be the associate head coach. Let me just give you a couple oh. of numbers real quick. This is not just hiring a, a like a, a public school coach, right, to come in as your associate head coach. Somebody who's coached five current NBA players, including the number one overall pick in the NBA draft in 2017, Markel Fultz, coached Jeff Allen in high school. He How did. about that? I love that stat. Jeff Allen played for all the basketball factories, man. He played for DeMatha, then he played for Oak Hill, then he played for Hargrave. He was a he he. Jeff Allen made the transfer portal before the transfer portal existed. <laughs> but uh, also coached uh, Jerry Grant, Jaron Grant, uh, Michael Hopkins. I mean, a bunch of really great players and. I mean, you put it in your article, Chris, but DeMatha High School, for someone who knows nothing yeah. about high school basketball, put into perspective how good they are on a national level. They're so good that when you say high school, you should use high school with air quotes. I mean, you can't, you cannot think of basketball recruiting in terms of like football recruiting. And I know, I know tech fans have a tendency to do that because they're football-centric, but it is not the same thing. It is apples and oranges. And these basketball factories like this, it's, it's not like you go into Salem High School in Virginia Beach, which is a regular high school. DeMatha is a place where parents send their kids. You know, it's a private school in the, in the D.C. Catholic League, which is a really, really good league. Like Eric Green played in the same league. He, he's from Winchester, but he played for Paul VI in Northern right. Virginia as yeah. is, is a senior. <clears throat> Uh, to go up to get better coaching and and, uh, and go up against the best possible competition to prepare himself get more offers th- you know things like that uh, and that's what Dematha is except on a higher higher level of course um, that they, they can attract players you know it's not just oh I grew up ten minutes from Hyattsville Maryland so I, I go to Dematha that, that that's that's not the way it is this right. is a basketball factory yeah it's you don't it's not a prep school but it's it's kind of like that you, you know uh so you you can't compare it to football recruiting i mean there uh, uh, there is no mike jones of high school football unless img academy yeah. was located in northern virginia right right which it's not yep. so there is no comparable football hire like if virginia tech had had hired lauren johnson as a cornerbacks coach or something like that Highland Springs is is one of the best programs in the state of Virginia. DeMath is one of the best pro- programs in the entire country. Right. So uh, you you got you got DeMatha, you got Montverde down in Florida where Justin Bibbs played. Uh, you got Oak Hill, of yeah. course, um, and you know a couple others here and there. But uh, so it's it's an apples to oranges comparison. Again, you mentioned his credentials: Team USA under sixteen head coach for many years. And then, Will, I mean, you think about the immediate impact of this. This is in Chris's article, but DeMatha has two players ranked in the top 100 for the upcoming 2022 class. Small Ford Tyrell Ward, the number 53 players in the uh, 247 composite rankings is one, and just received a crystal ball to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. So it does feel like, I mean, he's going to know all of the talent right now that's there. Do you think we'll see a boost in recruiting in the next year to three years just because he knows all the players that are currently in the high school ranks right now. I think so. Here's what I think. Uh, I think it will improve access to some of the, some, some better players. Um, this is not anything anybody's told me. This is just kind of my, my own thoughts. Um, I think Mike Jones is an excellent, excuse me, Mike Young. And we're going to do that a lot. Chris and I have already talked about how we're, we're going to basketball. Add. You got the Mikes and football. You got the Justins. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That's a good yeah, point. So, uh, 
excuse me for mixing it up. I think Mike Young is a very good basketball coach. He's had a couple seasons in the ACC now. Um, and and it, he's smart. And, and I think what he's trying to do is – I really like the players he had on team this past year, the way they ran the offense, the way they worked together, all that stuff. Um, but you can always – if you can get that same thing – with bigger, faster, more physically talented guys, if you can get the culture and the buy-in with players who are just bigger, better, and faster. Uh, you know, what Tony Bennett was eventually able to accomplish at UVA. Yes. It took him five uh, or six years. Yes. But. Now, some of the guys that won the national championship for Tony Bennett, they weren't just system players. They were guys in the NBA. What yes. a Kyle Guy, Mr. Mr. <laughs> Dunk the other night. Is Ty, is Ty Jerome in the NBA? Impressive. He is. Yeah. He is. And uh, who am I leaving out? Uh, uh, D- uh, Hunter Dikite, Mamadi, Diani. He's not, but he's DeAndre not. Hunter is. DeAndre yeah, Hunter, yeah. that's who I'm top trying ten to pick a couple years ago. Pick, yeah. So, so there were. I mean, he had NBA players on his team when he won a national championship, and mm-hmm. and Mike can have a very Mike Young can have a very successful program here at Virginia Tech, but he knows that to really start, uh, you know, having a legit shot to make the Final Four and win a national championship, he needs players that are just physically more impressive and that's not a knock on the guys he's currently got on his team yeah and uh there's one point i want to make here and i I know because of how long frank beamer and bud foster and billy Hyde and jim cavanaugh stayed at virginia tech that you know tech fans want coaches that are going to be long term and stay for years and years and years this is not what this hire is this is very much this reminds me very much of kevin keats kevin keats was the longtime head coach at hargrave and decided he needed a new challenge, and he wanted to coach, be a head coach at the college level. But to be a head coach at the college level, he first had to take an assistant coaching job at the college level. So he went from Hargrave to being Rick Pitino's assistant at Louisville. And after three years as Rick Pitino's assistant, he got the UNC Wilmington head coaching job and then got the NC State head coaching job. I think this is, you're, this is similar for, for Mike Jones. I, I, think, I think he's interested in a new challenge in coaching. I think he is very capable uh, of being a head coach at the college level. Um, I think you know he went to ODU whenever Jeff Jones retires at ODU, which will probably be sooner rather than later, then he would be a great hire for Old Dominion. Yeah. Um, so I think this is, I don't think this is going to last longer than two or three years. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if Kevin Keats and Mike Jones hadn't talked about this. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's a great opportunity for both parties. Yeah. That's a great point. He yeah. played at Old Dominion, Mike Jones. So yeah. th- that could oh, be a potential. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if Mike Rhodes left VCU, he could, I mean, honestly, a lot of these CAA A-10 programs, you, you know, if he recruits well at Virginia Tech and, and gains college coaching experience and assistant role, combined with his contacts with Nike and everything yeah. like that, then he becomes a very attractive candidate for one of those mid-major schools as a head coach, similar to Kevin Keats. The situation is are so similar. So, yeah. look, this isn't a Bud Foster, oh, in 20 years he's still going to be here, something like that. This, this is a – this, in my opinion – is a is a short term thing, which is what in college basketball most assistant coaching hires are. And, and there's an understandable fear reaction when you lose a good assistant, you know, because assistants are very important. Right. And um, if if you don't replace them properly, yeah, it's a problem. Your program's yeah. going to. I was worried yeah. when Tech lost Chester Frazier. 
Yeah. But I, but I always knew they were going to lose Chester Frazier. Right. I've been writing that since the day he was hired. Like this guy's like not. This, and I think Coach Young has long. even said at some point he's going to be a great head coach one day. Which yeah. he's going back to his alma mater. But yeah. he's close to getting that head oh, coach. Yeah. Oh, he's already been offered one, at least one that he turned down that I know of. And in the interim, he's doubling his salary right. while he yeah. waits for that yeah. head coaching job to come yeah. along. Now the staff and change is not quite done yet with Virginia Tech men's basketball. So Mike Jones is in Chester Frazier, Illinois. But it was reported on Tuesday that Christian Webster is in talks to join the staff at Florida. Now, Webster was here under Coach Buzz Williams. Coach Young kept him. So he's been in Blacksburg the last couple of years. Nothing finalized, but Chris, do you think that that is a move that is that, that could happen? And what do you think happens if another spot on the bench opens I, up? I think it's a strong possibility that it happens. I actually heard about that when I was down in the Virgin Islands, that, that he was talking to Florida and some other schools, too. Um, and, and, and it's not a reflection on Webster. I think you see assistant coaches move on a lot. He's He's been here four or five years. He's worked under Buzz Williams. He's worked under Mike Young. And he's still a young coach and, and I'm sure has aspirations maybe of being a head coach one day. And if you have those aspirations, you, you, know, you know, you need to change jobs a decent amount, work for a large number of head coaches, learn more stuff, learn more philosophies. It, it makes it makes your resume stronger if, to, and gives you a better chance of being a head coach one day. Yeah. So I'm not surprised by it. And that, that, that's just the way it is with young assistants. They move on a lot. Um, I'm not worried about it. Um, it I, if he stays, great. If he, if he moves on, fine. Um, it, I'd be more interested to see how Mike Young replaces him. Um, he, he Like right now, you know, he's a mid-Atlantic guy in terms of recruiting. Uh Mike Jones is also a Mid-Atlantic guy, Northern, Northern Virginia, Maryland, D.C. So Virginia Tech has kind of doubled up in that area with, with two-thirds of their assistants. Their specialty is in that area. So if Webster were to leave, would Mike Young add maybe a guy with Carolina, Georgia, Florida connections to maybe expand the recruiting reach a little bit? Or would he double up in the same region? I'd be strongly tempted to do that, to be quite honest yeah. with you, to, yeah. to double up. But uh, that, to me, that's if Webster were to leave, how Mike Young would approach that higher. Or, or, or do you try to find a defensive specialist like, like Chester Frazier to a certain extent? I don't know. I, I, I think probably – I would probably double up on, on the mid-Atlantic region and try to be in, as strong in that area as possible. So, so in the meantime, do we need to install a vacuum tube between Blacksburg and Gainesville? What's up with that? Uh, well, speaking of Gainesville, <laughs> let's transition to uh, talking about changes to the coaching staff, to changes to the roster, where Virginia Tech on Tuesday announced the uh, the uh, that Lynn Kidd will transfer from Clemson to Virginia Tech. He is from... Gainesville, really? he is. Florida. He sure is. Originally from Gainesville, nice Florida. Nice segue. Totally unintentional. That's perfect. Lynn Kidd, the newest member of Virginia Tech men's basketball, six foot ten, two hundred and thirty-five pound post player. Originally the number one hundred and ten recruit nationally coming out of high school, according to the two four seven composite rankings. He played at IMG Academy. He chose Clemson over Alabama, Miami, Auburn, Florida, Georgia Tech, and others. He was listed with an offer from Virginia Tech out of high school. So he went to Clemson this past year. He played a total of seven games as a true freshman, but as Chris Coleman always likes, gets that extra year of eligibility he's back. Actually a prime, he's actually a prime candidate for a red shirt because he's extremely raw on the oh, defensive yeah? end. And he's another guy where football recruiting, basketball recruiting, apples and oranges. He reclassified. He was originally a class of 2021 recruit, which means he would 
be an incoming freshman this year, this year. right? Uh, he got a Clemson offer in, I think, late July and committed to them and immediately reclassified to 2020 and enrolled a couple of weeks later. So he basically skipped his senior season or, or could, he could have played one more season in high school uh, and enrolled at Clemson instead. Yeah. Um, so you're getting a guy who is still a very, very, very young player who was still a true freshman, very raw with a very high upside, in my opinion. Uh, It seems like he's a very polished offensive player from what I understand, but he's actually behind – all freshmen are behind defensively. He's more behind than most players defensively. So, uh, And the reason he didn't play much for for Clemson this past past year, Brad Brownell is a defensive-minded coach. You better play defense or you're not getting on the court for Brad Brownell. So he was behind from that standpoint. And – so if he can refine his defensive skills and everything like that, I, I, he's he's got the ability offensively, is, is what it sounds like. Um, he could play the four or the five, potentially, for Virginia Tech, depending on who the other big man on the court is. It, it's so funny, uh, a 6'10", 235-pound four. Yeah. You know? uh, I think uh, – I don't think he's going to play much this year. Nah. I, I just – I don't think he is. Um, you've got – right now – Let's say they don't add any other players, but right now you got two guys. Well, let's assume Aluma comes back. You've got you've got Aluma and Ojiaka who can play center. You've got Mutz and Gasan who can play the four, and even Gasan can play the five a little bit if he needed to, depending on matchups. Uh, I, I don't see room for him getting on the court this year, especially if he's behind defensively. Which, in my opinion, the fact that he's only going to be a true freshman and he had reclassified, he was supposed to be a true freshman this year anyway. Right? That's right. That's right. And with that kind of post depth, I would try my hardest to redshirt him if he was open to it. Um, now in basketball, uh, how do the redshirt rules work? If you play at all, you can't redshirt because in football, it's like twenty five percent of the games it, it, under it, normal. It even used to be that way in basketball. You could play like five games and still redshirt, or, and you know maybe say you were hurt or something like that. But there was a there was a grace period in basket in basketball. Honestly, don't know what the rules are. Yeah. No. So. One name you just heard uh, Chris mention all of the depth inside did not bring up Michael Durr's name because it's the last podcast that we've done. Of course, we talked about Michael Durr coming in, the transfers from South Florida, six foot eleven was going to be a big presence inside. He's entered the transfer portal. I believe he just committed to Indiana. Yes, he did. Yep. And uh, Will, I believe that was in large part because of Chester Frazier leaving. Is that correct? Yeah. That, that I don't know. I don't know. I know. I haven't been told that directly. Have I, I, I have not been told that directly. It, but, but, I, but I mean, basically, the it basically happened within a day or the two of each time, other. Yeah. So I don't. You can certainly make that connection. Um, so, it, so Michael Durr becomes the answer to a trivia question. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it would have been fun uh, to but, have seen Durr with Aluma. I mean, yeah, all that size. Uh, you know, uh, that would have been that would have been interesting. But at the same time, like. I don't know, man. It's tough on these kids this year. Like, you hit the transfer portal, and you want to find a place as quickly as possible before spots fill up at other schools, but you aren't allowed to visit. Like, that Like that guy committed to Virginia Tech and never set foot on campus. Yeah. Right? It's like it never happened. It, yeah. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. Um, it will be the answer to a great trivia question right there. Five that, years that, from now. Like, well I'm, I'm going I'm to feel bad for some of these guys this year that have made a commitment. You know, especially the, especially like the transfers who have like one year left to play, right? And they had they had to commit somewhere that they've never seen. Like, what if they get there and they're like, "Man, I don't like this place. I just don't like it." 
Well, they're stuck, of course, yeah. and it's not really fair to them because they were never given the opportunity to visit. Yep. You yep. know? Tough. There you go. Well, speaking of uh, transfers and those who have one year of eligibility left, we're going to keep talking about that. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Deshaun Crawford entered the transfer portal for Virginia Tech. We'll talk about the depth of the defensive line, and then we'll go rapid fire with softball, baseball, lacrosse, get to your questions, all that and more coming up. Episode 179 of the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Back in just a moment. Welcome back into episode 179 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Great to have you with us as we record on Wednesday morning, May 19th at around 11 a.m. Evan Hughes alongside Chris Coleman, Will Stewart behind the scenes, Malcolm Stewart, we're going to get to your questions. If you're watching on YouTube at the end of the show, be sure to drop them in the chat. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, and comment. Even if you are watching archived, it greatly helps us. Our first show in just about a month. It's great to be back. We're having a ball. We had a great uh, story time with Will earlier in the show talking about his Will Stewart jersey that's hanging to his right on the podcast set. And he talked about a jersey that would have been worn by Marcus, by Marcus Vick. Vick. Instead, <laughs> it's in the possession of Will Stewart on Wednesday morning, May 19th, 2021. For those that are listening, go ahead and describe what you're holding there, Will. So I am holding a number five jersey, which would have been for the 2004 season. I remember those, these were brand new jerseys in 2004. Uh, th- this was a new style. of. Uh, remember, it was all maroon with hardly any piping before 2004. That was the first year of that style jersey where the, uh, the orange... You don't want to call them stripes, but the piping the comes piping, down the yep. chest like yeah. that. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's a little bit of white. Piping I, I think they're there. great jerseys. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I get the traditionalists who who love the solid maroon too. Which actually that is my favorite, but I, that's my second. Yeah, favorite. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that that's a good look, and that's the shortened sleeves version. As exactly. Opposed to the, so so this had come in, and since it was going to be a quarterback's jersey, this the sleeves these these represent sleeves that are really cut off if you compare them to the. The jersey behind me, these these sleeves are not cut off. So We should do a special podcast where we all wear our favorite VT jerseys. And invite Clark Rulin in. And invite Clark Rulin in. Clark, Clark uh, sadly DM'd might... me during, during the break and talking about I have Zabian Dowdell's uh, black jersey uh-huh. fr- from that game, and he's got Chris Tucker's black jersey <sighs> from, from that game. I'm going to go guess. ahead and I think yeah. Clark Rulin probably has <laughs> oh, a I think, ton yeah, of jerseys. Yeah. I, I would love – That'd be a great podcast. Talk about Clark's man cave. Clark's got some swag. Yeah, man. Maybe oh, we no should doubt. do a TSL podcast on the road. Yeah, how about we go to on the road to Clark, Clark Rulins? Clark, Clark, we're we are inviting to ourselves to your house. <laughs> we yes. would love to do a podcast in your in your uh, basement or. Yeah. Anyways, it's really cool. I love seeing the pictures of it. So yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, right. make me an offer on the Marcus Victor. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to go rapid fire here. Over the next ten minutes, we are going to talk about four different sports, and then we'll get to your questions on YouTube. All right, let's go ahead and start. It's ten fifty nine, so we're going to try to be done by eleven oh nine. Ten minutes on the clock. Here we go. Let's start with Virginia Tech football. Last week, Deshaun Crawford. Entered the transfer portal. The senior who transferred into Virginia Tech from a JUCO in 2019. Had a decent 2019 season. Hardly played in 2020. Chris, I'll start with you. Were you surprised by the move? Not really. Um, I think he's a perfect example of how there's such a small margin of error in college football. Like He's a really, really, really good natural football player. He was the state defensive player of the year in Mississippi as a senior in high school. I mean, this guy can play football. 
but he's undersized. And to have success at the Power 5 level, he needed to be in a specific scheme. And the Virginia Tech scheme under Bud Foster and Charlie Wiles was the perfect scheme for him. Maybe the only perfect scheme for him at this level the of football level. these days. You know? Uh, so when, when Foster retired and, and Virginia Tech got new philosophies on the defensive line, and I, I just – he's not a fit for it anymore. And he was – and combined that with his knee injury. And I don't know what his knee injury was – if it was just a really, really bad sprain or if there was some kind of structural damage, my, my guessing is it was more than a sprain. Yeah. Combine that, which probably took away a little bit of his quickness, and he's not a fit for the scheme. He was he dropped down the depth chart this spring. Yeah. Uh, he's he, got, he would have been very situational. Yeah, he's, he's, not go, he's not going to play in the NFL. There's no chance he ever plays a down in the NFL. So he's got one year left in his life to play football, and he wants to play football, not watch football from the sideline. So there you go. I don't blame him. I think I think he was a really good player for Tech. But I, and I think I think you know ten or fifteen years ago he would have had a standout career at Tech. I think he's a great fit for the scheme. Sometimes life is about timing. Yep. You think about some of the size on the defensive line. I mean Jordan Williams is three hundred and ten pounds, six foot four. You think about. Josh Fuga, 6'2", 323 mm-hmm. pounds as a redshirt freshman. Jaden Cunningham's 306 pounds, 6'2", as a redshirt funny. junior. Yeah, you mentioned, Much more size. You, you, you mentioned Cunningham, and, and he was a JUCO recruit who signed the same year as Deshaun Crawford. And when they signed together, I'm like, oh, great signing Deshaun Crawford. He's a great fit for this scheme. Uh, I like the Cunningham, but I don't know what kind of a fit he he is for the scheme and now here we are a couple years later and it's like the direct opposite yep. yeah because mm-hmm. the scheme changed it's transitioned from football to talking about virginia tech softball will Hokies losing the acc semifinals to clemson uh, they go on to lose to duke in the acc championship i know it's a little disappointing for the Hokies, but they still finish ranked in the top 20 at the end of the regular season and i think they find themselves in a really interesting and winnable region in Tempe going to play Arizona State, who is the 15 15. overall team. Out of of 16. Out of 16, correct. So they are barely a one seed. Hokies are a high two seed. I really like their chances against BYU, Southern Illinois, and Arizona State. I think this is going to be a really interesting regional that begins on Thursday. Well, I I like their chances um, anytime they can. I don't know exactly how regionals are structured, but anytime they can pitch Keely Rochard in every game, and Pete Demore said this, they have a chance to beat anybody anytime Keely's pitching. Their their defense has to be good. Their uh, their hitting has to be timely. There have been times where the hitting wasn't timely. Or you know they make a defensive mistake here or there, but they are they are a team with enough offensive acumen that if they play good defense and Keely Richard's pitching, they they can beat anybody. Mm. Yeah. yeah, the thing right now with Tech softball, actually, they were hitting the ball so well in February and March. A team that was hitting well over three hundred, now they're hitting below three hundred. Yeah, over the last month or so. So you look at that Clemson game; they had runners in scoring position early. They couldn't convert. They lost two nothing. I actually think. I'm not worried about the pitching. If the hitting can produce like they were earlier in the year, I, I really think they're uh, going to win that They're the favorites for that regional if the hitting goes back to March, April level. Yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Yep, 100%. So now, I actually, are, are they missing any players right now, or is everybody back? Uh, to my understanding, everybody is back. Everybody's healthy and, and, and good to go. So I think that they open with BYU. Uh, BYU's actually played Arizona State a lot in this um in this season, which is ironic that they're going to play each other again in a regional. 
Arizona State a winning record. They I believe they took a series maybe against Oregon that was their only notable series win of the okay. year. So Tech has an advantage when it, when it comes to level of competition faced throughout the. Well, I, I think so. I mean the Pac-12 is good, but is, I, yeah. I I think that uh, I mean Arizona State to me beat everybody they should have. They took one series that was kind of an upset. I I think that you you look at Clemson for instance right who had the ACC freshman and player of the year in Valerie Cagle. They are a two seed in the Alabama regional, which Alabama is one of the best teams in the country. Like I think Tech got a really great draw when it yeah. comes to the regional they're playing yeah. in. No SEC teams. Now, if they win that regional, they're likely going to play the number two team in the country in Los Angeles in a super regional in UCLA. Well, that's a good problem to have. So, anyways, that'll be a fun So, so fill me in on the format. How many teams get invited? 64? So I believe it's 64. There's yeah, four teams. Six, 16 in, times four, yeah. Right. Four yeah. teams in uh, every regional. So um, the one seed, So if you're a top eight seed and you win your regional, then you're guaranteed to host a super regional. Okay. So it's double elimination in a regional. And then if you get out of a regional, you go to a super, which is a best of three. You and one other team, one other best team. of three. So, it's, so for instance, if Tech won their regional, UCLA won their regional – Best of three, Hokies against UCLA. And that narrows it down to eight teams, and then the eight that come out of there go to the... No, well, eight teams make the Women's College World Series, so it would actually right. be... Yeah, I'm the Super so, Regionals take it from 16 to eight. Correct. Then the eight, they go to the World Series, and is that double elimination? I believe, I'm not 100%, but I'm, I'm pretty sure, because Tech lost two games in 2008 I when they made so, the Women's yeah. College World Series, yeah, so I believe yeah. that's du um, double elimination, just like the Regionals and technically the the supers are you can't lose twice that's so. true um so anyways I, I i really think i mean keely has still been pitching really well defense has been pretty strong the last couple of weeks the Hokies did avenge their loss to notre dame they beat them in the quarterfinals of the ac tournament they so we're due I, i'm pretty folks if you want to watch some uh tech softball thursday night at seven on espn three they're the only regional to start playing on thursday because byu um has a doesn't a play on sunday they can't play on sunday yeah. So the the uh, regional championship will be Saturday night. So, anyways, look out for uh, for Tech softball back in. The, Pete Demore's had him in the NCAA tournament every year since he took over in 2019. Busy week for Pete Demore. <laughs> yeah, did you see that? Too. Yeah, how about just that? had his first kid. Yeah. And if they had, if they had actually beaten Clemson, he wouldn't have been there for his child's birth, right? Because he would have been coaching in the, in the championship game. Yeah, no. something good from something bad. Right? Yeah, we're <laughs> glad he was there for that. Very happy for Coach Demore and his uh, his wife Anna. Let's transition to talk about baseball momentarily. Uh, Chris, about a month ago, it was looking like Virginia Tech was in position to win the ACC Coastal. Yeah. Uh, now the Hokies 16-17 and 17 in the ACC. and I, it, it feels like this is a really important series coming up against Notre Dame. A top 10 team in the country, mm. the best team in the ACC. They have not lost a ACC series all year. Well, they're due. So there's one. There you go. There. The law of averages, <laughs> right, Chris? Yeah. How important is this series coming up for Tech? Oh, I think it's pretty important. Uh, I haven't looked at any bracket projections. I do know the the one I heard yesterday when I was on the Paul Van Wagner radio show was uh, that uh, Tech is still projected to be in the field. Uh, you know, they've played a tough schedule. It's the ACC. Um, they have tailed off recently. Hitting hasn't been as good. Um, for the most part, you know, you got one or two guys who are heating up, but you know, some of your freshmen are cooling off, and, and it's kind of what I was worried about. Um, like the scouting report is now out on all those freshmen, right? Pitchers, pitching coaches, they know their tendencies now because right. there's now a large. You got you got a lot of data to draw from now, as opposed to the beginning of the season where there just there wasn't enough tape out there to 
get a good read on tendencies and whether the guys chase outside fastballs or whatever, things like that. Uh, but all, all that information is there now. And now it's, it's just like rookies in baseball. You know, a lot of them start out hot because there's no scouting report on them. And then the pitchers figure them out. And then it's up to the, to the rookies to make the adjustments to the adjustments. Right. And I think that's a little bit where tech is at right now. The good news is, and a positive is that the weekend rotation is back intact. Uh, this coming weekend will be its second weekend that Chris Gerard is back with yeah. Anthony Simonelli, who's pitching really well, and Peyton Alford. And how many how many total weekends has Virginia Tech's starting pitching staff actually been together? I can this tell year? you right now, in terms of the ACC, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Duke last week, and then Notre Dame. This in terms of right. all three being healthy all at once, all at once, which is huge. It's just just four. Wow. Just four. And wow. Chris Gerard last weekend against Duke uh, was pitching a com- – I mean, he went into the ninth inning. I mean, and, and oh, yeah, he's rubbed one nut. So uh, yeah. he's back. Uh, he's he's definitely back. Like, it wasn't one of those things where, oh, let's ease him back into it with 60 pitches. Right? <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. Simonelli pitched great. Yeah, that was a disappointing series because Virginia Tech led all three of those games in the yep. eighth inning, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so it's – baseball is such a – it's such a sport where it's like a fine margin of error, man. Like Tech could have easily swept that series, and they got swept. Yeah. 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 But but the thing is, you play so many games in baseball that all that comes back around. You know, Tech has won a lot of games this year that they easily could have lost. Yep. They've come from behind a lot. And at the end of the year, you are who your record says you are. I think it all balances <laughs> out. I know that's a cliche. But well, I do the think law of averages. Yeah, some right, some right. sports is much more true. Then. Yeah, it is. So, again, that's uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Tech against Notre Dame. And uh, that'll complete the regular season. ACC tournament is next weekend, which I just saw was announced full capacity. Yes. The ACC baseball tournament. Where is so, it? Down in North Carolina? It's at uh, Durham Bowls Park. I heard John Laser say this. It's the nicest minor league ballpark, in his opinion. I've driven by it, ridden by it, and it's beautiful from the interstate down there, yeah. the Durham Bulls Park. Uh, it's not the old Durham Bulls Park, like fat back from you know the Bull Durham movie. Yeah. It's uh, That park does still exist, but, uh, yeah, that was a – Durham Bulls are AAA now, so they're in a yeah. much bigger, nicer stadium. They're not in the bus leagues anymore. Did you ever see the ballpark Salem used to play in, Salem Red Sox? No. Yeah, it's kind of like that that park in Bull Durham. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's in Charlotte, and again at the Bull. Uh, uh, I've been to a game in that old park in, in Bull Durham, actually. Yeah. yeah. Been to a minor league game. Okay, last piece of uh, – uh, last thing, uh, Virginia Tech lacrosse looking for a new head coach. John Sung resigned and, well, in my opinion, will go down as the best coach in program history. You look at what he accomplished, uh, Will. I mean, Virginia Tech lacrosse, I mean, to give a little bit of back, I mean, had never really had success. What, they won they like became... two or three games ever in the ACC? Something yeah. Like that? And yeah. then so. in, his fir- in his second year, took him to their first ever NCAA yeah. tournament. And I know the, like the end of his tenure – you know, it kind of petered out. To I think they went extent. one and eight in the ACC. Yeah, yeah. This year. which was a bu- they had a lot of seniors this year, but yeah. they had a huge COVID pause, if you remember, they did from February to March, yeah. in which they had. I mean, it, it was a rough. They didn't. They were putting that like was defenders the, uh, on the attackers. Yes, that was the infamous time where the basketball program was also down, and several other tech programs were down. Uh, there was a big party. There was a party. Was, was the yeah, there were the, and plenty of athletes were there. <laughs> <laughs> does does like a genius to figure that out, but. Uh, yeah, so uh, I think probably considering – if you consider the way his tenure started, the ending was a disappointment. But when you look at it as a whole, the program he took over was the absolute worst in the yeah. ACC, not even a question. So he did a great job. I don't know 
I don't know the circumstances surrounding his resignation or anything like that. But uh, he, he, I, I, when when you look back on on a coach, I, I guess the ultimate judge is on his tenure is did did he leave us in a better position or at least the same position is is the one he took over and he certainly left us left Virginia Tech a stronger program than the one yeah. he inherited. Well, they were in the top 20, top 10 yeah. for a large portion yeah. of his career. They had uh, first ever program wins against Syracuse, Notre Dame. I mean, I, I mean, he certainly it's raised just, the ball. Just, I think it's an attractive job now. Honestly, well, it's to, one of those sports where you can be really good, and because you're in the ACC, it it, it just yeah, that's you know, true. And yeah. soccer's kind of that way. Yeah. It's, it's, and even even the regional teams that aren't in the ACC around here, like JMU. Winning the national championship, yep. right? Yeah. And so it's it's not even like you can schedule a non-conference game against JMU and be like, well, that'll be a win. Well, no, it no. might not be, right? <laughs> Probably won't be even. And speaking of small teams winning national championships, Marshall. you don't expect. How about Marshall winning the men's soccer national? It's a great championship game too against Indiana, uh, and they knocked off UNC to get there. So, oh. and I know this is the year of COVID and everything's thrown out of whack. They, they beat to a some good extent. teams, yeah, uh, but. You know, Virginia Tech's never won a national championship, right? You you would think after so many years, like, you just get lucky at some point, right? How about in the women's soccer? Did you guys see Santa Clara beat Florida State on penalty kicks to Did win the really? women's national championship? They were an 11 seed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so th- this year, your soccer national champions are Santa Clara and Marshall. Love parody, man. I do. Yeah. So there we go. We went. So let's let's not talk about college football anymore this show. <laughs> we went 14 minutes, by the way. I'm looking at the time. It's 11:13. So 14 minutes, but good conversation, and the best conversation has yet to happen on this podcast because we have not gotten your questions yet. We're going to do that right now. But before you do that, please like, subscribe, and comment. And comment. So let's go up to the top. Let's get to our questions here, where you get to interact with us here on the show. Let's start with Kate Anderson, Chris. How big of a factor do you think being a Nike school was in landing Coach Jones? Well, I think it's a, certainly a great fit for, from that standpoint. Like, I wouldn't have seen the point of, like, Maryland hiring him. I mean, it would seem like a great idea from a regional standpoint for yeah. Maryland to hire him. But Maryland's – Or from a shoe at, company standpoint? Right, right, They're an Under Armour school. So they can't go in there like, and they'd be hiring a Nike guy to recruit Under Armour players and, and again, football recruiting, basketball recruiting, apples and oranges. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's one of the things that, that makes the hire even more attractive. And, you know, I, I talk about him being a short-term coach here and compared to what Virginia Tech fans are used to, at least. Uh, uh, you know, and, and that, that might not necessarily be a – that might not be a big deal. I think he's one of those guys, the the longer he stayed, the less effective he would be maybe. Um, because now that he's leaving, guess what? DeMatha's next basketball coach is probably not going to be a Team USA coach. Right. So it's very possible that DeMatha basketball makes the switch to Under Armour, which is what all their other athletic programs. So there's has. a short shelf life on right, his right, right. So and... So Maryland hasn't signed a DeMatha player in like over 20 years, despite their close proximity, because DeMatha is Nike basketball and Maryland is Under Armour. Maybe that flips now if if they switch to Under Armour. You know, so that's just how basketball recruiting works. So uh, uh, it certainly made the the hire even more attractive than it already was, for sure. Will, Andrew asks, what do you guys think was the deciding factor for Jones to finally accept an offer to coach a college program? (sighs) 
that that's a really good question and to pretend like i actually know is would be you know uh, that that would not be true uh you you can guess he chris how old did you say he is 47 47 47 yeah 47. so when bill roth went to ucla in 2015 bill was a uh, I believe roughly the bill was about 50 years old. There comes a time in your career where if you're going to do something, this is your chance right. to do it. And and I, I know that in my conversations with Bill, he, he felt like, you know, I've, I've been thinking I should do something different. If I don't do it now, I'm never going to. So maybe that's part of what's going on with Mike Jones. And, you know, uh, maybe part of it is just uh, like, you know, like Chris talked about wanting to be a college head coach. Well, the, well the, that's, it ties in. I mean, he wants to be a head coach at some point. He's got to be a, uh, an assistant first. If, yeah, you're, so, if, you're, so, if you're jumping from the high school level to college, you're not just going to get a head coaching job right yeah. off, generally speaking. Generally, unless you're Penny Hardaway. Right? So he um, uh, he said that he had been approached by for college coaching jobs mm -hmm. for like the last 15 years. Yeah. Each year of the last 15 years. So it could be that maybe he just felt like the time was right. Yeah. And maybe it's something in the relationship between him and and Mike Young. Although you know, Mike Young said they, he didn't really know Mike Jones until he took the tech job, you know? Because Mike Young was never recruiting DeMatha-level players. I, I right? just think Mike Young's probably a really good guy to work for. Frank Beamer had that reputation, right. you know? Maybe the previous 15 years, the people that were approaching Mike Jones, he just didn't right. feel comfortable with. I, I thought, yeah, and... Maybe the offers weren't for the associate head coach spot. Right. Maybe for like the second assistant spot. You're maybe, just maybe, a high school maybe guy. It was a we'll mid, start maybe you it was out. a mid major. You know, uh, yeah. and not. But I, I think if you're looking to be a, a college a college head coach and then a power five school in your region, and your shoe companies match up, uh, you know, you've got and you've got a chance to take that job and make. I assume he will make what Chester Frazier was making. Or more, so Maybe that's more. that's three hundred twenty thousand dollars or more. You got a chance to do that for two or three years and position yourself to be a head coach. Uh, and you're forty seven years old, and like you said, that opportunity may not come again, so you have to jump on it. So yeah. I, I think it was just great timing. A lot of things lining. I also that. just want to mention this. I mean, you brought up a really great point. I'm not saying that. I, I think. His end goal is to become a head coach, right? Anybody I, who's an assistant coach well, is yeah, to become all, a head coach. All, all of that is my guess. Yeah. Uh, like I, I haven't actually talked to any of my basketball people about this, but that, that's my guess about the main reason he's making the jump. I, I think he wants to be a head coach, and I think this is the Kevin Keats route. Yeah. But my point is, is that if he wants to become a head coach, and you bring up a great point that I didn't realize that the ODU coach that I'm assuming he maybe played for when he was – No, I, Jeff, no, Jeff Jones okay. was a UVA coach back then, and that, that – that, Jeff, Jeff Jones Jeff, was a good – he's a good coach. Jeff is 60 years old. He's 60 years old. So, I mean, you come here, you know the state well. You never know. I mean, maybe Mike Rhodes leads VCU to a Sweet 16 Elite Eight. Maybe he lead. I mean, yeah. he knows the state of Virginia well. He played here. I mean, it's a – you go from Virginia Tech to another in-state school to become a head coach at mid-major level. I think that's a really – you know, he's probably that's looking a, at the future. What could it turn out to if, be? If you're VCU and you choose to hire Mike Jones away from Virginia Tech three years from now – that's that's way more palatable than hiring Mike Jones from DeMatha as your head coach. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, anyways, just the thought. Um, Eric Fisher. Eric, great to have you back, by the way. One of our uh, avid there. listeners. We appreciate you. Wrestling has done well with former high school coach. It's a great point. Kevin Dresser was the Christiansburg High School head coach, mm -hmm. and now he's one of the 
best wrestling coaches in America. Hiring high school trans uh, hiring high school coaches translates better in some sports than it does in others. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, they they had uh, Brands coaching him for a year, and Brands was a really aggressive hire by by Jim Weaver. It was, and then he he did what he did. <laughs> Never made another one after that either. <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> to what what Tom Brands did while he was here, and and then to so to go from hiring Brands to hiring Kevin Dresser out of Christiansburg, that you know that was a stretch, and it worked out really well. Dresser's one of the unsung heroes of building a program at Virginia Tech Athletics. And I'm sure Tony Roby would totally yeah. agree. Yeah. Hey, yeah, speaking no of wrestling, by the way, when you guys are bringing it, I'm talking about doing a podcast, bringing our jerseys. I've been asked uh, via text to bring my wrestling singlet. That's oh, got to be Dave. As long as you don't wear it. <laughs> as long, exactly. As long as it's not worn. So, so Evan's got this singlet that the, that the wrestling program gave to him that he, that I went, I was over to Evan's house the other day and it's framed on his wall and it looks like it's about this big. <laughs> Like I don't think Joey Prada or uh, or Sam Latona could fit in that. You know, it's it's a tiny. I was asked of graduation weekend nearly twenty times to put it on. That well, I will not be leaving the. the you don't glass drink case that much. That right? no. <laughs> no. So all right, let's uh, Billy Parvinum. I asked an earlier question about home and homes. You guys said money and how good the teams are is important. Mm-hmm. Is the Black Diamond rivalry happening because both schools are mediocre? plus benefit from playing? Uh, I, I think, well, gosh, you, you look at the athletic directors that were at those schools when the series got canceled. I mean, you have completely different leaderships. Leadership that, that was Jim schools. Weaver and was it Oliver Luck? Yeah, I, think, was, so, I think so. Boy, Luck uh, has really moved on to have a good career. Yeah, and I'm not even sure who the West Virginia AD is. No, I don't, now, I don't know either. With you, but, uh, you know, leadership changes over time. Uh you know the thing is, with the exception of probably Doug Nestor, who oh. unfortunately is not timeout. Quick, right. did anyone see that side eye roll there from Chris? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I just want to make sure we pointed that out. No player on either one of these teams has any idea of the history of this rivalry. Um, Doug Nestor does because he grew up in West Virginia, and to be quite honest with you, West Virginia fans take the rivalry more seriously than than Virginia Tech fans. As a whole, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they are they get angry about it. I mean, downright angry, where they will, you know, set things on fire and everything. You know, uh, it, it was it was kind of even, I think. Well, uh, until the whole ACC, until thing. the whole ACC thing, yeah. and then they got mad. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm sure enough time has passed now where it's just not that big a deal because I think I think ever like I went to the Pittsburgh game in 2003, and their fans were awful, yeah. horrible, and. And it was because of Tech going to the ACC. Well, guess what? Pitt joined the ACC too, and and now that's calmed their fans down as far as as far as that goes. So I, I don't think that's going to be an issue anymore. And, and there was um, the, the twenty seventeen game at FedEx. Oh, it was know, fantastic. You, 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 you can argue that Tech fans behave worse than the, the WVU sure, fans. Sure, sure. Uh, I I think the I think the main issue with W W WVU fans are the ones that like stay in West Virginia. <laughs> I'm, 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 no, I'm, I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just the ones that like the the locals per se. Like like I I ended up in a West Virginia bar the night before the Tech Arkansas bowl game. The West Virginia bar in Charlotte is Whiskey River at the epicenter. And I'm all, I'm rolling in there having a couple drinks, and I see a couple people in West Virginia jerseys. So I'm like, huh. And then all of a sudden, more and more people in West Virginia jerseys come in. And all of a sudden, Whiskey River's blaring the WVU fight song, and I'm sitting here in my tech stuff surrounded by all West Virginia people just like that. I'm like, uh-oh. They were awesome. 
They were all awesome. Yeah. They're, they're the West Virginia fans that go to West. They went to West Virginia, but then they went out and got Graduated, jobs. Graduated, left, went out and got Right, right, and... right. Exactly. Um, they've left the, 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 the local culture, the so hive. to speak. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, something like that. Eric Fisher writes, to be fair, West Virginia fans set stuff on fire for any emotion. That's fair. Yes. That's fair. So, happy, happy or sad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but that's not really the answer to the question. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it was, I don't think it was signed up because both teams are mediocre, or however you want to call it. Like, I don't remember the the year the series was signed. Um, I mean, it's a it's a three game series: the FedEx game, and then one at West Virginia, one at Virginia Tech. I don't yeah. remember how good either team was when when yeah. this series. I guess was signed. Wit signed it. Yeah, uh, I guess. Um, probably he, he came in February 2014, and Luck and... might have still been their AD then. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 it's, I don't remember, but. The thing about a home and home, a straight up home and home, is there's no, you don't have to pay, you know, Middle Tennessee State a million dollars to come to play one game in Lane Stadium. Right. Right. Here's our uh, football expert here at Tech Sideline, Jeff Holland, chiming in. 1993 Virginia Tech at West Virginia. The bus ride from the hotel to the game, a couple of West Virginia fans, elderly couple in their 70s, flipped the bird to the team bus. Also, after the game, the sideline was littered with batteries and small liquor bottles. Yeah, uh, I uh, I've heard the what in the '97 game up there. I've heard like West Virginia fans tried to turn over the team bus like with the team in it. Right, I've heard that story. Uh, Jeff, Jeff knows I, you keep your helmet on when you're on the sideline. Yeah, at you West absolutely. You, um, I remember. Well, I was on the sideline for that Pitt Virginia Tech game in 2003, and at the end of the game, the Tech fans were walking through the tunnel to go back to the locker room and the tunnel to the visitor's locker room is right in the middle of the pit student section. So the pit students were all crowded around at the top of the tunnel, just throwing stuff at Tech's players and coaches as they were walking back through the tunnel. I mean, it was, I've never seen anything like that. And, and Pittsburgh's only an hour away from West Virginia, from Morgantown. What is it about that part of the country? Like, yeah, Chris has got this whole triangle theory that goes all the way over to include uh, Philadelphia. Philly fans. Right. Philly fans. Yeah, Philly fans. Everyone's so, uh, with... to correct, uh, Oliver Luck was West Virginia's AD from 2010 to 2014. So way back in the early 2000s right, now. Right. Uh, I just love everybody's chiming in with their West Virginia stories. Oh, gosh, right? we, suddenly, we have awoken. Suddenly the chat is lighting up. You know, I, I want to ask this question, but no response, just because I think we can do a full podcast on it. What really created, because I don't know. The West Virginia Tech rivalry, like what? Just because I think we could do a next play every year, playing every year. But here's the thing: I want to play West Virginia every year because we stop playing West Virginia every year, and you know, then Virginia went into the tank and stunk, and it just took a lot of the emotions out of it. Let me ask you this: Who would you rather play every year if you had to pick one, Tennessee or West Virginia? Dang, that's a good question. West Virginia. Hmm. Mm, I don't know, man. Come on, chime in, everybody in the chat here. Would you if you could only pick one every year, home See, and home, what, West what, Virginia what, or Tennessee? West, I'd pick West Virginia ten times out of ten because their fans care. Tennessee fans don't care about Virginia Tech. They don't want to play Virginia well, Tech. That's a solid. Point. They wouldn't be into it at all. West Virginia fans would be into it. When you beat West Virginia, it feels really, really, really good because you also you lose to them sometimes, like. By the by, the end of that streak over UVA, it was just like, oh, we beat UVA, ho hum, again, again, and I'm at the president of the United States again, again, like Gump, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it it just, I mean, I'm not saying it gets old, but you lose the emotion of of when you beat them every year. Eventually, you you lose 
a certain edge comes off. Yeah. The, the, the feeling changes when you beat them. Okay, it doesn't so, feel like an accomplishment anymore. I felt a lot better beating them after this past season because they had beaten us the year before, right? Yeah. So beating West Virginia like in 2005 and 2004 felt great because they'd beaten us in 2002 and 2003. Right. Like football is not fun without emotions and rivalries and things like that. I would play them every year. If it was up to me. So I, I try to do a Friday poll on Tech Sideline Twitter, and a lot of times I have a hard time coming up with a question. I like that question. Can, can we do? I would love to expand upon this more. Of like maybe we do a podcast over the summer because folks, we're going to have you know not a ton of content time. to talk about. Maybe we do like rivalries that are most important to the Tech fan base. We come up with like a top five list, and uh, I think that'd be it. Because right now people are going back and forth in the chat right now. Tennessee, West Virginia. So I'm I'm really excited about this season. The reason I'm excited about it is this is irrelevant, regardless of who's coaching Virginia Tech, what anybody feels about the coaching situation, any of that. Week one is North Carolina, who is for me is developed into just about the team I want to beat more than anybody every year. Mm-hmm. That's week one, and what is West Virginia? Week three, week, week four? three, at yeah, West Virginia. You got oh my gosh, that first month of the season, like. My emotions yeah. as a fan are going to be running high, and I look forward to it. I will say, I'm so, as somebody, I mean, Malcolm and I, right, we are 21 years old. The last time that West Virginia played Tech at either West Virginia or Tech was, we were in what, elementary school? We were like five or six. What was the last time they played before 2017? 2005. So, yeah. I mean, I have no, I mean, you could go pull the entire 25 and younger. Like, we, okay, we, we have six. no but, idea but, but, that but, that's. Will, will the, the will the passion and intensity the, be there? The, the 2005 West my, Virginia game, honestly, for me, that's one of my most anticipated games ever. Being a fan, at like the one it, at WVU, the yeah, Marcus yeah, Vick yeah, flip the bird yeah, game, right? And that they ESPN put that game at noon, probably under pressure. So a night well, game that, went out there. That, that didn't stop me. Marcus from flipping a bird, but, uh, right? And, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't defend hardly anything Marcus did, but I'm sure that bird was well deserved. He, <laughs> he heard some stuff during that game. No <laughs> yeah, he, no question. Um, I mean, just because of what the rivalry had gotten to at that point, I mean, I, I just I remember the, the just the feelings of the week heading into that game. It was a big game because. You know, West Virginia was was unbeaten going into that game. Actually, that turned out to be West Virginia's only loss that year. That's true. That, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were unbeaten going into that game. Tech was unbeaten. But just what the rivalry had turned into at that point since the 2003 game. And Tech well, had the, left well, the league. The, the, we, we knew it was going to be. The 0-1, losses were painful. And then the 0-3 loss. Uh, well, we beat them in 01. Beat them in 01. Yeah. That was Rich Rod's first year. Yes, that's right. But the 02 loss at home. Right. And then the oh, oh. the brutalization. And, I, you know, I worked for VTTV at the time, and our cameraman who was on the field swears that Lee Suggs got into that end zone. He had the camera right there on the pylon. Uh, which you year? Know? 2002, when 2000. they stopped us on the goal line stand. Wow. Towards the end of the I game. Do, I do not recall yeah. that. Oh, it was fourth down. They stopped us on fourth down. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yep. All right, so let me pose this question, then I probably can wrap it up with this, because I think it's a great way to close it all up. Scott chimes in favorite rivalries of course uva miami west virginia recently unc does west virginia or tennessee top any acc rivalries that virginia tech has besides uva so let me put that in a different yeah rephrase oh, oh, that. oh yeah oh, does right. the west virginia tennessee rivalry top essentially am i asking north carolina miami are those more important to you than any of those acc rivalries yeah I, I, uh, 
I've, I've, for me personally, like for the last few years, my main focus every year is, is oh, what day do we play North Carolina? That's the one I circle as soon as yeah. I look at the schedule. Yeah. It wouldn't be that way if if West Virginia was on the schedule. Uh, that that'd be the one I'd be circling every year. Like I know when we're going to play and, and, U, U, and the, UVA. But and the thing about Miami is that they're they their fans. Well, they don't have any fans. Well, it's not it's not just their fans. It's the fact that they they're playing Miami's literally a crapshoot. Right. It just it's it's like it's uh, I, I can't find the way to phrase it, but. You, you just have no idea what's going to happen, and you don't really care because – so. and what I mean by that is lately I've walked away from the Miami games going, oh, Miami decided not to show up today. Or I've walked away from the Miami game going, oh, Miami decided to show up today. It's completely random. I mean, and that takes Sometimes some I wonder – like – I like writing game previews, but every year I know it's a complete waste of time writing Miami game previews. Just write a three-paragraph preview. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And say, you know, well, <laughs> so so go, you know, that, that one drawer at home where you keep a pair of dice – Go into that drawer, pull out the pair of dice, and if you roll a, a two through a six, Virginia Tech will win. A seven through a twelve, Miami will win. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. I'm looking forward to well, us. I will say about emotions, man. I like. I don't get that emotional anymore, and I shouldn't because it's my job. But when we talk about West Virginia, man, I got pretty emotional today. Hmm. And that game needs to be played, man. And it's unpopular to say this, but like. I don't know tech fans. A lot of tech fans don't want to play it, but like, why is that? They had a bad experience in Morgantown, uh, which a lot of comments like here are saying that there have been. Like, yeah, the ones yeah, who are actually, actually there, there don't want to play them. Anymore. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, well, I, I mean, I went to Pitt. I had beer cans, beer bottles thrown at my car, you know, as I was circling the stadium. Doesn't mean I think we should cancel the Pitt game. So right? do you do you think I, mean, that- we, I think we need to. We need to toughen up as a fan base and play West Virginia. Do you if, th- you, if you don't want to go to Morgantown, then don't go. Does the gap from 05 to now, excluding the neutral side game, do you think that'll tone down the passion, emotion, yes. energy? Of yes. the, will it be like the 05 environment? When you don't do something for 15 or 20 years, it loses its relevance and yes. intensity. Yes. Okay. No question. Now, it would take some sort of an incident for it to uh, for, for, for it to maybe we should bring Marcus Vick out of retirement <laughs> I'm sure he can start something well, you know, third, let him do the third quarter uh, you know let's go Hokey. oh my <laughs> gosh I've even got the jersey <laughs> can you oh my gosh. we should take Marcus Vick to Morgantown as honorary team captain <laughs> well, if, you, if we really want to jump start this rivalry again, we should let him do the coin toss <laughs> so I'm thinking about I'm thinking about all the pictures of Daryl Tapp doing the let's go Hokies when he came out and did it you know, before he became a coach here. And uh, um, can you picture if they trotted Marcus Vick out there to do that? Oh. Every single photographer in the place, there'd be this huge oh, wave of photographers insane. just running out to midfield. <laughs> oh, gosh. See, this is what I love about the YouTube comment section part of the podcast. You never know what direction we're going in. So mm. thanks to everybody for the comments. Our first show in nearly a month. It's great to be back. We've got great content planned for the summer, of course, on the website. But also, we'll keep it going with the podcast as well. So, uh, Chris, we're an hour and a half in. We'll wrap things up. What's coming up on Tech Sideline this week? Oh, I'm about to go immediately get started editing a Brandon Patterson article. I think this is the final article in his offensive series. And then we have to sit down and figure out what he has to do after after this. Uh, and I'll do another PFF article tomorrow, Friday Q&A on Friday, as usual. Perfect. And we've got a... Uh, uh, preview of the ncaa softball regional coming also i posted it this morning great article great feature by Corey van dyke on anthony simonelli virginia tech saturday starter he's he's electric he uh 
He uh, had to have Tommy John when he was in high school. Then he went to Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina cut him. And now he's at Virginia Tech and a really, really good pitcher and has put himself in a position to possibly be drafted. Did you see when he struck out the UVA hitter in the seventh and he just kind of like got all down and, started, and just <laughs> looked and pointed at the dugout? I mean, he didn't point, but he kind of stared right into their dugout. Yeah. I was like, man, man yeah. that guy's got energy. I, I love watching him He's got him a ton pitch. of energy. So that's on TechSideline.com. And, Will, any articles up right now that you encourage people to go back and read? Uh, what have we... Lo- the Mike of, and Mike connection. Uh, you got to uh, go read that one. I, I, I spent... Yes. And that's actually uh, a good example of, like, I pushed back all content from yesterday just to write that article. Whereas if we were in the middle of basketball season or football season and something like that happened and I was editing a bunch of other articles, I the article I wrote yesterday on Mike Jones wouldn't have been as good because I would have had to do a bunch of other stuff, edit other other bunch. Of Insert David Cunningham. Right, exactly. Uh, and as it turned out, I thought my Mike Jones article yesterday was really comprehensive. It was one of the longest articles I've written in a while because yeah. I gave myself more time to do it. And it helps because there's no sports going on right yeah. now. I'm yeah. telling you, man, David Cunningham is going to make us a lot better. There we go. What a great podcast. Great to be back. Looking forward to more shows coming up. Any closing thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap things up? Besides like, subscribe, and comments. <laughs> no. Uh, just, uh, you know, wish uh, – Wish Evan and Malcolm congratulations, and and I know people are concerned about the future of the TSL podcast. Um, uh, don't worry about it. You know, we'll uh, we'll take care of it. Yeah, we'll keep it going. Jeff, uh, Jeff chimed in. This is my last show. This is not my last show. Don't worry. So, right. Yeah. Um, that'll um, wrap things up for us. Thanks so much to everybody for watching and listening. And we're presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to southeastrtc.com today to get involved with Virginia Tech wrestling and everything that they have going on in Blacksburg and here at Virginia Tech. That'll do it for us, for our managing editor, soon to be a new title, Chris Coleman. Across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. Behind the scenes, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 179 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Have a great week, Hokies.